Let's keep that passage open. It's page 1070 if you just closed it. And why don't we bow our heads and pray as we come to look at it a little bit more closely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that you've chosen graciously to reveal yourself and your ways to us in this book. Please help us now to understand what it says that we might know you better and live a life that is pleasing to you and satisfying for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Well, I drove here this morning listening very loudly to my uh, favourite rock band, which is New Order. They're a Mancunian band. Uh, They used to be cool and trendy back in the 80s and 90s. Now they're just a bunch of uh, 60 and 70-year-olds, but um, I like them, and I think they're great. And they released a new album a couple of years ago called Music Complete. And the first track on that album is called Restless. At one point they sing, I want a nice car. A girlfriend who's as pretty as a star. I want respect as much, as much as I can get. Well, how much do you need? How much, how much do you need? I feel so restless, restless. And in this changing world, I'm lost for words. I won't sing it to you um, because that would empty the building very quickly. But these words... They seem quite basic, but it expresses something deep and profound. In the video that goes with the song, which I wasn't watching on the way here, um, there's a young man in the video, and he's crowned king in a nightclub. And then he goes around enjoying himself in all the usual ways and throwing his weight around. But the whole thing just screams out, restless. Restless, searching, dissatisfied, longing. At the end, they kind of ride off on horses into the sunset, but there's still that nagging feeling. It's the same old story, isn't it? New Order sing about it in a heavy-hearted sort of way, just as the Rolling Stones 50 years ago sang, I can't get no satisfaction, in their cynical and frustrated way. St. Augustine was right. He had a pretty wild life himself, Uh, before he became a Christian 1,600 years ago. At the start of his um, confessions, his autobiography, Augustine confesses to God, God, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And it's that theme of thirsting for something, needing something, that I think comes out really strongly in this passage from John's Gospel that we're looking at this morning. Jesus talks about what we should do with our lives, what we should put our energies into if we want to be truly satisfied. He uses the image of food and drink, basic things, to think about what it is that will really fill us up and make us complete, give us the kind of life that we would all really want. And the first thing Jesus says to us this morning from this passage is, don't waste your life on here and now Christianity. Don't waste your life on here and now Christianity. Verse 26 of John 6, he says, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life 
which the Son of Man will give you. Well, what's he talking about here? He's talking to a crowd who are following him around the Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel. And at the start of the chapter, Jesus fed 5,000 of them in a miraculous sign that pointed to his identity as the God-man. After that, they tried to uh, forcibly take him and make him into their king. But he slips away from them, secretly. He doesn't want to be made into an earthly king, set up in opposition to the Romans like some tin pot revolutionary raging against the evil empire. That's not his thing. He has come not to go on a political crusade at all. And when the crowd find him, he says, look, you're just following me because I gave you some food to eat. That's all you're interested in. You want a leader, a here and now kind of saviour, and I'm not that. I am not just here to improve the economy and social care and fill your stomachs. My agenda is not materialistic. Do not work for the food that spoils, he says, but for food that endures to eternal life. Don't waste your time on here and now Christianity. Don't come to me, says Jesus, just to get your earthly desires met. You were made for something so much greater than that. You were made for eternal life, not just a more luxurious 70 or 80 years in this world. But there are still people around today who treat Jesus like this. They think that he is just a a here and now kind of saviour who promises to give us a better life in the 21st century. So I saw this comment recently on Twitter uh, where a celebrity Christian said this. He said, Christianity is supposed to be not so much about life after death as life before death. Quality of life right here, right now of which poverty and injustice rob so many. Well, to be fair to, to, to this guy, he's not a hedonist like the, uh, the guy in the New Order video, just trying to get the most out of life before he burns out. And he's not one of those infamous prosperity gospel preachers either who like to grab the headlines and your wallet and make foolish promises of health and wealth and prosperity in this life. If only we have enough faith. No, this man wants to to help the poor and the downtrodden. And that's good. We must do that. But he thinks that that's it. That Christianity is all about good works in the here and the now. And striving to make this world better. To which I reply and literally did reply on Twitter, I hate poverty and war and injustice, but the hope of a far better life beyond death with the risen Lord Jesus has always been absolutely central to the Christian message. The gospel is not about 
improving quality of life in this fallen world, as important as that is. Jesus said, do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And sometimes even sincere Christians can get this out of focus. We enjoy the many benefits of being a Christian in the here and the now. Church friends, Christian community, a sense of belonging and being part of something. I don't know how people who are not Christians get by without that. All the blessings of being part of a church family and knowing Jesus together. And it takes a lot of work to keep a church open and functioning. But if that's all that Jesus is to you, the one who calls us together in our big happy family, the one we sing about in our enjoyable modern songs, then we've missed something. Something fundamental. Do not work for the food that spoils, he says, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Don't put all your efforts into social justice and community activity and miss something of far deeper and greater importance and significance. So that's the first point that Jesus makes here. Don't waste your efforts on here and now Christianity. Second, Jesus tells us why. He tells us why. He is offering us more than merely worldly notions of blessing and giving us something so much better than earthly ambitions to aim at. He says the very reason he came down from heaven to earth was to raise us up to eternal life. So don't focus on the here and now because, here's the second point, because Jesus came down to raise us up to eternal life. Verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those that he has given me, but I will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Do you hear that? Did you hear it as we had the reading? Twice he puts the focus on being raised up at the last day. He does it again in verse 44. Do you see that? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. And verse 54, at the end as well. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. It's like a drumbeat, pounding away at this basic idea that there's more to this world than what we can see. There is more than what we can see. In Jesus' view of the world, it seems, he started somewhere else. He started in heaven, and he came down from heaven where he existed prior to the first Christmas with the Father and the Holy Spirit. There is more than just this world that we can see. And after we leave this world, in Jesus' view of things, there's a judgment day coming. The last day, he calls it. We will all then, on that day, stand 
face to face with Jesus and he will announce our fate. It will be eternal life or eternal death. No third option, no second choice. And it's clear from what he says that we should really, really want to be raised up with him on the last day and enjoy this eternal life that he's offering. That's why he came down from heaven to lift us up. And it's also clear here that that was a very, very costly thing for Jesus. He, he had to die to make that happen. He gave us himself the food which endures, something which he, the Son of Man, can give us, that bread from heaven is Jesus himself. It's not stuff, it's him, himself. Give us this bread, the crowd say to him in verse 34. Give us this bread, which anyone who eats will have eternal life and live forever. What does Jesus say? He says, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me and believes in me will never be thirsty. So he talks about coming to him, believing in him. And later, since he's talking in sort of food metaphors to these people, he's just fed thousands of them, he says, eat me, drink me, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Now, he's not talking about a communion service here with bread and wine. Actually, wine isn't mentioned here at all, is it? And the Lord's Supper doesn't happen until much, much later in the story. And actually, it's not mentioned in John's Gospel at all. He talks about flesh and blood, not body and blood in that sense. And he's clearly not giving us just some simple ritualistic way of getting ourselves into heaven by taking a wafer and drinking some wine. It's obvious From the context, what he's saying, it's all the same thing that he's talking about. Feed on Christ. Believe on Christ. Come to Christ and he will raise you up at the last day. He came down to give himself and raise you up. He talks about his flesh being given for the life of the world. And he can only be talking about the cross there, can't he? The cross where he died where his naked flesh was whipped and beaten, nailed to a cross, and he died. But also that we could have eternal life. He was judged and punished so that we can be raised up and freed and live forever after judgment day. Now to some, I know this sounds like pie in the sky when you die by and by. But it's so much better than that. So much better than pie. It's Jesus. That's what's on offer here. It's Jesus in the sky when you die. That is food that will never perish or spoil or fade away. He gives eternal life. That is a quality of life, not just the quantity of life that goes on forever. A quality that makes everything good about this world seem pale and insignificant and insubstantial. Because Jesus, he's richer and finer than the best wine. He's better than steak. 
better than chocolate, better than sex, better than any high that you can think about or even imagine. Here, in this world, as good as it often is, every silver lining has a cloud. But in heaven with Jesus, there are no clouds, none at all. Only the sunshine of his warmth and glory. That is the food that endures to eternal life. Something worth living for and worth dying for even. Because it is so much better than anything that this world has to offer. And there is no price too great that won't seem like a pittance once this is in your grasp. So don't waste your efforts on here and now. Christianity, because Jesus came down to raise us up to something so much greater. He died that we might have eternal life. But finally, in this passage, the Bible invites us to consider our own response this morning to what Jesus is offering to us. It asks us, will you grumble, argue, or feed on Christ? That's my final point. Will you grumble, argue, or feed on Christ? Because there are basically only three responses to Jesus in this passage. Do you remember them? First, we heard that uh, some of the audience grumbled at what Jesus was saying. Verse 41, when they heard him, the Jews began to grumble about him. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, How can he now say, I came down from heaven? So they grumble because they think that Jesus' claims are far too exalted. That he's got too big for his boots, this local lad. He came down from Nazareth, not from heaven. We know his mum and dad. He's just a carpenter. Who do you think he is? Well, you can find out more about who he is in that Discover course that Richard was telling us about earlier. But these people, their their thoughts about Jesus are far too worldly and human. They can't see what all these miracles were pointing to. They're signs showing us who Jesus is. Water made into wine. Feeding 5,000. Walking on water. This is no ordinary man. And yet they talk about him as if he was just some merely human celebrity and not the word made flesh full of grace and truth. Like the, um, like the Old Testament Jews who grumbled in the desert when the manna fell down from heaven, they would have preferred, what, cucumbers and leeks and to go back to slavery in Egypt than to be there in the desert with the bread of heaven. These people also dismiss Jesus because they haven't looked carefully enough at who he is and what is on offer. They'd rather sneer and mock and complain and continue with their worldly religion, which always leaves them a bit hungry. They'd rather do that than give Jesus the benefit of the doubt and be satisfied beyond imagination. Is that you? Secondly, there are some people who argue as well as grumble. Did you hear them? Uh, In verse 52, 
Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Why is he talking about eating his flesh? Well, admittedly, there have always been some people who get a bit lost over this bit. Uh, Taken literally, of course, it's obscene. It's repulsive and definitely not kosher to eat someone's flesh and drink their blood. Though, you know, we're perfectly used to this kind of metaphor, this kind of way of speaking, even in our own language. As one commentator says, uh, we devour books, we drink in lectures, we swallow stories, we ruminate on ideas, we chew over a matter, we eat our own words. Many of you are grandparents, I know, and perhaps doting grand, grandparents often say about their grandchildren that they could eat them up. Well, I hope you don't mean literally. But we know what you mean. We understand this kind of way of talking, don't we? So it's not really that complicated, what Jesus is saying. But, you know, any old excuse for not doing what he says. As I mentioned, there are some people who think that it's all about the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, Mass, or Holy Communion, and that Jesus is here offering us an automatic ticket to heaven for anyone who partakes on a Sunday. But that's obviously not what he's saying. Obvious, isn't it? Many have taken communion without taking a seat in heaven. Judas was at the Last Supper. And many have been denied the sacrament. They've never been to part of a meal where we remember what happened on the night when Jesus was betrayed. The thief on the cross next to Jesus was in paradise with him that very day without ever eating or drinking from Holy Communion. Jesus is talking about the same thing all the way through this passage. He doesn't suddenly start talking about communion at the end. He is the bread of life who truly satisfies every human hunger and thirst. So feed on Christ. Believe in Christ. Come to Christ. And he will raise you up at the last day. But you know, there are always some people who want to argue about how ridiculous it all sounds. Or they worry about how it looks to other people. Or they prefer to keep looking for another king, another saviour, to give direction and meaning to their lives. And yet, finally, if that's you, think about this, that there are some who don't grumble. There are some who don't argue, but believe. They believe that Jesus is no mere human man from Nazareth, who might make a useful role model or inspiration for our social efforts. They trust that he is who he claims to be. God in the flesh. The one who came down from heaven to give us himself on a mission to save us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They want the kind of life which won't fail to deliver. That won't fail to satisfy from a relationship with somebody that they really can trust, that they can rely on for a future with with no mess and no misery that we have in this fallen world. So which one of those reactions 
is you. Will you grumble, argue, or feed on Christ? Taste and see that the Lord is good this morning. Taste and see by trusting your life to him, body and soul. He has promised very clearly here, it says, that whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, but will raise them up on the last day. So let's be quiet for a moment. Let's bow our heads and let's consider our response to the one who claims to be the bread of life with the power and authority to raise us up to eternal life. A moment of quiet. So we pray, Heavenly Father, who sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death on the cross for our redemption, raised him to life again, and seated him at your right hand on high. Give us grace to draw near to Christ today, that feeding on him, chewing on his word, we may enjoy even now by the power of your Spirit that eternal life which he has promised to give. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.